Thanks, Mark. Hi, folks. Um, if you've not met me before, I'm Paul. Um, Becky and I lead the church here, and I don't lead New Wine. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, uh, so did lead it for seven years. So this is a weird experience for us going to these conferences and not being responsible. Um, thank you for bearing with us as well, because we we've been away quite a bit. So. A couple of Sundays ago, we were actually at New Wine Holland for their 20th anniversary. So we had about 6,000 of us gathered, most of whom seem to have been interns in our church at some point. <laughs> um, so I bring you greetings from Pim and Elena and Renska and Nicole and Rebecca and um, Johannes' dad. So basically, you know, most of Holland seems to be uh, people who've been on team here at some point. And then, uh, as Mark said, uh, we've been into the New Wine A, New Wine B, uh, the two conferences, probably about 16,000 people. And it's just wonderful to know how God is changing lives. Hundreds of children and young people come to faith every year. Um, we've seen healing, uh, we've seen deliverance, we've seen people recommitting themselves to the Lord. There were several times people renewed their marriage vows. Um, but my favorite story actually comes from a friend of mine called Katie. Katie is a vicar up near Manchester, um, working in quite a deprived parish. And she'd brought a whole load of people, quite a lot of the people that she'd brought, um, they're kind of on the edge of faith, shall we say. Uh, and she persuaded some of them to come down and, and, and serve on team as a good way of getting them there cheaply. Uh, but there was one particular young lady uh, who sought her out and at 10 o'clock at night Katie is sitting in the food court and uh, this young lady 17 year old comes over and she says uh, I've been in the youth meeting um, somebody gave me a prophetic word I, I'm just completely and utterly blown away by this I need to become a Christian I need to get baptized and Katie being a good Anglican vicar said thank, thank you that's really good how exciting let's take your details let's look for an opportunity early in September to have no 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 Katie right now so, so it's 10 o'clock at night in the food court so once she'd worked out that this probably is not illegal there is a way around this then um, they decided okay it's going to be a baptism so probably about 150 people in the in the food court everybody gather around this young lady's going to be baptized so she has 150 people there to witness and to pray for her and um, I thought, just thought it was really lovely Katie found a bucket of clean water and um, she basically baptized her a little bit like this, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You know. <laughs> so, and I just thought that was a brilliant picture of what God wants to do, which is he wants to absolutely saturate our lives. He wants to fill our lives. And um, we, over the last year, have been looking at a number of passages, which this time last year, I think we were looking at the I am sayings in John's Gospel, like up here, I am the light of the world. So in the darkness of this world, Jesus is the light. And uh, throughout that, we're just reminded that Jesus is what we need. Everything we need is found in him. He restores us into relationship with God through his death on the cross. He is the life that we seek. And one of the things Jesus says is, I am the bread of life. I am the, the basic. I am the staple. I am the thing that you need more than anything else. You know, that in his part of the world, that would be bread. Other parts of the world, it might be potato or rice or whatever. But the point is, Jesus is not saying, you know, I'm the caviar of life. Or I'm the champagne of life, you know. 
Jesus is not the cherry on the top. He is the basic. He is the bedrock. He's the staple. He's the beginning. You know, he, he wants to come in and make sure that he is the one in whom we found our fundamental needs met. You know, so often people kind of like approach life as if I'm basically doing all right, but there's something missing. And Jesus will give me that little bit of extra on the top. And it's like Jesus is the cherry on the top. And if your cake is a bit blur and you need a cherry on the top, come to Jesus. And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you haven't got me, you haven't got a cake. I'm not the cherry on the top, I'm the cake. I am the bread of life. And so um, in this series, what we're doing is we're going through the Lord's Prayer. Very, very familiar prayer. Now, of course, we come today to give us today our daily bread. Let me just point out that the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer that Jesus himself could pray. It is a prayer that the Lord gave to his church. The reason Jesus couldn't pray the prayer is because it includes a little clause, forgive us our sins. And Jesus didn't have any. So it wasn't a prayer that he himself would pray. It's a pattern of prayer for those of us who follow him. So we're going to look at it tonight. It's very, very familiar, but we're going to read it from the scripture. Um, if you want to follow along in the Bibles, it's page 1042. We're looking at Luke's version this week. And uh, in Luke chapter 11, this is what is said. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So in other words, as they watched Jesus' communion with his father, they said there's a quality and a depth and a profundity and a beauty to Jesus' prayer life. And we remember John the Baptist, he used to teach his disciples how to pray. Well, so here we are in the presence of someone greater. Would you teach us to pray? And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now that's all we're going to look at tonight. But what I wanted to point out is, as we go through the series, that actually this follows on really nicely. You know, we start off with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we go into, give us today our daily bread. And what we're being reminded of is that actually we have a perfect father who has all resources at his hand. And he, with all that he is and all that he has, he is breaking into this world. That's what it means for the kingdom of God to come and the will of God to be done. And so it's only natural that we should now start to think about our setting, our own lives, the, the ordinariness of our everyday. Because... God, as a good father, is interested in every detail of our lives. He's, you know, he, he's not distant or remote or you know, not, a, not a sort of helicopter parent who flies in, flies out again. He's there all the time. And so he wants to be the bedrock of our life. And actually, I don't know if you noticed it, but there's almost like, a, for us, it's a bit of a gear change. You know, that we start off with heaven and hallowed. 
And then we're suddenly talking about the mundanity of bread and the ordinary and the everyday. But that is intentional because God is not wanting to be reserved to be supernatural. You know, God isn't wanting to be the cherry on the top of the cake. You know, he's not wanting to be about the spectacular moments, the, you know, the moments of transcendence and breakthrough. That God, and he is all of those things, wants to be in the ordinary, everyday things of life. And so it's absolutely right that we go from the glories of heaven and hallowed be your name to, by the way, could I have my bread for today? That's where he wants to live. It, you know, God dwells in the lowly places as much as in the high places. So give us today that basic thing. Now, what seems really interesting to me that food, representing the most basic thing, was the subject of the first temptation both in the Garden of Eden and in the wilderness where Jesus himself was tempted. And it's because food represents the bedrock of our life. Food represents dependence. It's what we start from. The first thing we do is we eat. And out of that comes the sustenance for life. And what we're being told through this is our Father, who is in heaven but is breaking into this earth, wants to, to be for us our provider. Now, the fatherhood of God, and particularly his provision to meet our needs, is a contested space. If you really want to know what spiritual warfare looks like, it's basically this. In, in your needs, what do you turn towards? Do you turn towards God as the father provider who has everything you need and gives it freely? Or do you turn to something else? It's a line in one of the prophets in Jonah that says that those who turn to false comforts, false idols, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, we need to train ourselves to turn away from meeting our needs apart from God and turn back and say, God, would you meet my needs? You, you want to, and I want you to meet my needs. The lie in the garden from Satan was basically that God's holding something back. He's not a good father. He's holding something back. He doesn't want you to have everything. There's good things that you're not allowed to have, and that's because he's mean. And so Adam and Eve just decided to take matters into their own hands, and they, they believed the devil, they believed the lie, they broke the commandment, the one thing they were told not to do. They took matters into their own hands, literally, and they fed themselves from an apple, desiring that they would be able to have wisdom and knowledge apart from God, that they wouldn't have to come to God to find out what was going on in the world, that they would have some sort of independent knowledge. And that, of course, just leads us into bondage. It leads us away from life. It leads us into a position where as we try to meet our own needs, we just get ever more screwed up in a cycle of, uh, of bondage and, and depression and, and brokenness. We have a provider who pours out without holding and he wants us to come to him. Jesus kind of puts it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about how God has set up creation. You know, the birds of the air, they don't worry about their food and the Father feeds them. The flowers of the field, they don't worry about their clothes and yet the Father clothes them, makes them even more beautiful in clothing than Solomon and all of his finery. 
And then he says, and you, you are so much more loved and so much more special and so much more significant than either the birds or the flowers. So why do you think that God wouldn't provide for you? He knows your needs and he provides for your needs. That's his nature. And so what you should do, be a sensible person who recognizes that truth and aligns himself to live with it. What you should do is you should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You should put the spiritual things of life first because as you do that, all the physical, material things of life that you need will be met by a father who knows your needs, has the power to meet them, and is lovingly, favorably disposed towards you always, faithfully, will never turn away from you, will never forsake you, will never let you down. So that's what's being told in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you might ask the question, well, if that is so sure... Why does Jesus teach us to ask for it? You know, shouldn't we just go, you know, God's going to meet my needs. But no, no, Jesus actually says you should pray every day, give us each day our daily bread. And I think the reason is because there's a recognition of God the provider. The big danger that we have is that we start to take the things of God for granted. Um, in the Old Testament, in... Um, in Deuteronomy, after the children of Israel have come out of freedom in the promised land, um, out of freedom in, they were in Egypt in slavery, um, through Moses, God led them out. He wanted to lead them into a promised land, a land that would be a good land, a land of provision. But he couldn't get them in there because they had so much of Egypt still in them. And so he had to train them in the wilderness. And so for 40 years, he basically sort of said, like, each day we're going to do this, I'll give you the manna. And apart from a double dose when it was going to be the Sabbath and they weren't meant to work, he didn't give them, like, a week's allowance at a time. It was day by day by day by day because he was training them to stay in a position of dependence. And he knew he needed to do that because he knew that when they came into a good place, that when things were going well, they would forget God. It's true for most of us. Most of us turn to God in our pain, but in our pleasure, it's almost as if, like, well, it's just what I expect. We don't see the blessing in it. When things are going well, often our relationship with God is a little bit more distanced. So this is how Moses was told to remind the people in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful not to forget the Lord your God. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget God who brought you out of slavery. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. You may say to yourself in the promised land, my power and the strength of my hands have produced as wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his promise. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden wanted to be independent. The children of Israel were rejoicing in being delivered from slavery and then wanted to be independent. God gave them manna. God gave them the law. He said, don't forget me. Jesus keeps talking about this. Um, there's a number of parables that I think are all saying essentially the same thing. 
or at least they have this in common. So there's, there's the parable of the prodigal son, where, where the prodigal basically says, when you die, I will inherit all of this. So, Dad, could we just pretend that you're dead right now? So I don't have to live in your house any, anymore and get hand-me-downs. I'd like to own it all myself right now. And, of course, he, he goes off and he makes a complete mess of his life. That's the basic bottom line of the parable of the prodigal son. But then there's also the parable of the rich fool, the one that says, I just want to get enough for the whole of this life. And he builds massive barns and he completely misses the point. He focuses on his own needs being met. You know, there's all of these stories again and again and again. The Bible says, no, no, no. You are not meant to live independently of God. Jesus had an encounter with a rich young ruler who was doing everything right in life. You know, he had all the moral things down. He was, he was you know, try, trying his best. But actually, he didn't really need to have that much of a relationship with God because he was very rich. And so his, his provision for health was, well, if I get sick, I can buy the best doctors. He didn't have to worry about the future because whatever came along, he'd have money that he could throw at it. And Jesus looked at him and thought, well, you're living a very moral life, but you're depending on your money. And so Jesus said, the one thing that's keeping you from this is your money. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor and then come and follow me. What Jesus was saying was, it's not about moral purity. It's actually about depending on me. You know, so often what we want to do is we want to become independent and do it all on our own and just call God in as the rescue service every now and then. And that's not what Jesus taught us to do. In the prayer, he says, give us each day our daily bread. Each day. Not give me a weekly amount, Lord, so I can forget about you the rest of the week. But give me a daily amount, so I'll be back tomorrow. And this is a really, really subtle thing, even for people who have been Christians for many, many years. Do you depend upon God moment by moment, day by day? Have you trained yourself to, to keep that posture of being a child before a heavenly father. I, I struggle with it. I, I really do. I'm, you know, I, I'm by nature a leader. I feel responsible all the time. I'm always kind of like rising up and taking responsibility and doing what I can do. And in that, subtly, quite often, it's what I can do. And the sense of depending upon God is kind of lost. I was sharing with some of the teenagers at, um, at the New Wine Conference that last year when, when our son Joshua moved into supportive living, it kind of caught me out. I, I, I mean, I knew it was coming. We want it to come. But when he went in there, I felt a bit of a failure. I felt like I should look after him. And I realized I'm not meant to look after him. You know, I'm meant to do my part, but ultimately God's looking after him, right? And the sense of failure that I felt probably told me that I was overly responsible. There'll come a day when I won't even be around, so I can't, you know, I can't fulfill that role for the whole of my life. I wonder how many things in your life where you're overly responsible because you haven't adopted the posture of being a child before a Heavenly Father who knows your needs, who's got what you need, and lovingly, faithfully, consistently releases it to you.
Anxiety and worry will probably show you where you're not trusting in God. A sense of failure might show you where you've taken on too much responsibility. For me, living out the Lord's Prayer probably is really simple. It's not many moments, many minutes in a day, but it's the beginning of a day, looking at the day ahead and saying, I'm going to need your help here, Lord. And at the end of the day, recognizing where he was, thanking him for it. And in that way, hopefully, then we can live out that consistent posture of being children for a heavenly father. God is all you need. But let that settle into your mind and heart because so often you think, no, actually what I really need is this, 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 and God will do the extra bits. But no, no, no. God is all you need. He will take care of your daily needs because he's a good father. He's enough for this day. And you don't have to worry about tomorrow because he's not going to change and he'll be enough for tomorrow as well. Mark spoke earlier about purity. The essence of sin is trying to get a legitimate need met apart from God. You have a need for comfort, but you don't take it to God. You self-comfort in some way. You have a need to uh, experience peace, but you don't take it to God. You numb yourself in some kind of way. Basically, purity is actually depending upon God for everything that we need. Recognizing the way he set up creation and honoring it in the way that we act. So why don't we stand? We're going to have a time of prayer. We do this in all of our services. We, we want to respond to God. Sometimes for that, that will mean quiet prayer. We will join together in singing songs of worship that often will reflect what we've been talking about. But we also invite people to come and to humble themselves and say, I'd like someone to pray with me. And um, all we're going to do is we're just basically going to ask God to, well, we'll add our faith to your faith that what you're asking God for will be given. You know, we get grace from God that enables us to live out the things that his word shows us. Jesus, on the night before he died, said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And Lord, we want to thank you that as we've looked into your word tonight, that we've seen very clearly that we are to pray. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us where we have reserved some special parts of our life for you and forgotten that you want to be in the ordinary every day. Forgive us when we've longed to have enough to meet our needs that we can then spend the rest of the week not even thinking about you. Bring us back into a place of childlike dependence upon you. So Holy Spirit, show us any areas where we're not depending on you. Show us where we're not trusting you. And so we're going to go back into a couple of songs of worship. 
And I just encourage you to come forward if you'd like someone to pray. We won't even need to ask you what it is about unless you want to say, please pray for this. But I felt if you're, if you know that your life is bound up in fear and you don't, you don't know or, or deep, deep down have that assurance that God is a good father who provides for your physical, emotional, social needs, whatever they might be, then we'd love to pray tonight that God would reveal his father love to you. If some of the ministry team, if you'd like to start to come out, and some, if you want to um, receive prayer, start to come now as we worship. Let's use this time together to say, if you'd, if you'd like to receive prayer, there's a few minutes in the service, so please just.